just to recognize Nate back there. Nate is here almost every Sunday night, and he works hard to make this happen, as well as several other folks. But we could definitely use a couple more Nates because it's a hard job to fill. So if you're interested in learning how to run a soundboard, learning how to set up for a rock band, that kind of thing, we'd love to we'd love to have you out. So um, just to uh, to I guess jump in here. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 18, and we're continuing a series today. Um, the series is titled Merely Pastors, and I'm going to um, shamelessly plagiarize Nick's sermon last week. Um, Nick taught uh, Sunday morning of last week, and he just said, guys, you know what, if if you're here tonight or this morning and, and you're 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 bummed that Justin isn't up front. You're sad about that. That's exactly what we want, right? Because that's what we're all about here. We're, we're merely pastors. And uh, as we're going to uh, jump in here with the uh, Corinthian situation, um, you'll learn a little bit more about why that's relevant. <clears throat> so just a refresher here. Um, Paul is speaking to a couple pretty rampant, serious issues with the Corinthian church. Um, mainly, uh, Paul is confronting the fact that they're getting caught up in what uh, he calls the wisdom of the age, okay? And in the Corinthian tra- trajectory and sort of the direction of the Corinthian church, um, they're becoming just another divided human organization, right? Um, they're being plagued by the beginnings of infighting. Um, they're claiming and boasting in the people who they know, people who might be leaders in their home groups and home churches, including Paul, including Apollos, including uh, Cephas, right? And in in doing so, they're spreading um, division. <clears throat> so uh, if you'd open up your Bibles to that uh, passage once again, chapter 3, verses 18 through 23, we will jump in, starting with verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we just ask that you would, you would illuminate our minds tonight, God, and that you would um, challenge us in the posture of wisdom tonight, God, that you'd, you'd challenge us to really consider our foundation, um, what gives us uh, the cornerstone to, to build our worldview, Lord. And Lord, we confess that even though we see through a glass dimly, Lord, that, that you can still uh, reveal the truth to us, God. So we ask that you would do that tonight through your word. So starting in verse 18 here, Paul um, 
Paul gives a pretty stern warning, right? He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This verse is really dealing with a couple of core topics here. We're looking at self-deception, but we're also getting a hint at how maybe we can begin to learn what wisdom is and how to be wise. And the greatest self-deception at work with the Corinthian church was them being convinced and possibly even proud of their own poorly founded wisdom. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was evidenced by their boasting in people like Paul and Apollos. Um, Particularly speaking here, the word being used for wisdom um, would be the Greek word sophos or sophia. Um, And it it could be translated as skilled or learned. And in particular, it was applied to the skill or the learning um, of the, the Greek philosophers and the Greek orators of ancient times. Now, this word for wisdom is also um, used in the New Testament, uh, as we find by, um, by Luke, uh, and also Matthew, as they re- reiterate the words of Christ. If you look at Matthew 11.25, in fact, if you would turn there now, Matthew 11.25. And Matthew 11.25 uh, says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. For Paul, um, the type of wisdom he is warning against here, it's not simply logic or productive application. It's, it's not the same type of wisdom that we might say, oh, this is the wisdom of our time, right? Um, Paul is particularly concerned with what he calls the wisdom of this age, right? So uh, specifically, this type of wisdom um, becomes a measuring stick, right? It becomes a point of personal comparison. And I can give you guys some examples here. So it could become a point of comparison as regard to your own personal relevance. And this was probably the case for the Corinthians too. For instance, um, my thinking is more relevant than another person's, or uh, my intellectual worth is compared to someone else's, and it's better, right? I've arrived at the truth, unlike these people over here, right? I don't think anybody's sitting over there, are they? Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> it could be a realization that, that has led someone to choosing the right affiliation, especially as compared to another person's uh, affiliation, right? So you chose the right church, right? And that makes you wise, right? That makes you that makes you the one that really knows. The Corinthian church had been hovering on the edge of destruction with regard to this type of thinking um, as they fought over the affiliations that they sort of swore to Paul or to Apollos or to, or to Cephas. Um, just an example from my own life. I, uh, <laughs> I go to a coffee shop pretty frequently near my house, and I've kind of become friends with one of the baristas there, and not good enough friends because he always asks me how the video game is going that I'm developing right now and I've never developed a video game in my life um but (laughs) I walked in there this past week and 
he, he always has the most awesome shirts. Uh, and his shirt said, Star Wars, right? Great. But it had a, it had a, a graphic of the Starship Enterprise, right, on the chest. It said Star Wars, but had a graphic of the Starship Enterprise. Now, this at once dates me and also discloses my secret nerddom here. But I looked at his shirt, and I, and I got a big smile. I was like, I love your shirt, you know? And for those of you who aren't nerds like me, um, the Starship Enterprise is from Star Trek, right? And so for him, wearing that shirt was a way of kind of poking fun at the customers who didn't get it, right? And so we had a good laugh, and he said, man, he said, you would never believe the idiots that come in here. That's what he says to me. And I was like, but I, I laughed, and I laughed like knowingly because I'm not one of those idiots, right? That's what I was thinking to myself. And then I kind of walked out and realized the joke was on me, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, how cool is that, right, that I recognize that his Star Wars shirt had a Star Trek spaceship on it. Um, but that sort of moment of smugness that I had when I was chatting with this guy, I think that's kind of uh, an analogy for the, the product of the type of wisdom that the people in Corinth were dealing with, right? They were choosing affiliations over others. They were fighting over it, and they were allowing those affiliations to bring destruction. They, they were deceiving themselves into thinking that boasting in another man or another home group, or something, um, made them righteous, made them good, right? Made them relevant. Um, And there's a whole lot of other examples in this realm that we could definitely touch on. You know, uh, I I, I think you could easily say that proudly or exclusively sort of name-dropping Christian authors, right? I used to do this when I was in college, you know, saying like, oh, I've read this guy and I've read that guy. Who have you read? You know, it was this way of sort of affiliating yourself with, with someone smarter than the person sitting next to you, right? And in doing so, you really made yourself kind of a jerk. But once again, this comparative measurement, this way of, of saying, yeah, yeah, what we're doing over here is better than what, what you guys are doing to the point of being willing to draw lines, you know, in the Corinthian church was causing issues. Um. <clears throat> I recently was at a party with a friend, and, uh, and we were meeting some folks there, and I, I ended up talking with a guy, and uh, I still remember that as the, as the froth from the craft IPA that he was drinking dri- dripped down his beard, um, he confessed to me that he, that he was a, and I quote, postmodern, Aristotelian, universalistic Christian. Right. And I was just like, what, what the heck does that mean? Like, like he, he needed a category and he needed a category so that he could differentiate himself from the other Christians who were there. And I just had to think, you know, like what's, what's the purpose of belonging to this, to this category, to saying that you're of a certain very long, complicated affiliation, right? What's, what's the purpose of that? In, I, I think we can we, we can read this verse too, and, and we can really, you know, meaningfully ask, what does it actually mean to become wise, right? What does it mean to become wise then? And become wise in the truest sense, in the humble and right way. Because Paul a- acknowledges, as did Jesus and Solomon and a whole slew of others, that wisdom is good, and it's something we can experience, Right? Well, 
if we read carefully what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five again, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. In order to be wise, we have to be willing to accept what God has revealed to babes, right, to children, right? And this is according to Jesus. So we can ask the question then, you know, do you actually want to become a babe? Not in like the 1990s Baywatch sense, but like, you know, just like in the sense that like you're a child, right? You, you, you don't necessarily know a lot. You aren't necessarily able to take care of all your own needs, you know? You're not necessarily able to have the reason for everything right away. But are you willing to, to embrace that posture? Because Paul is saying here, that that's what you need to do. And Jesus said that that's what you need to do. I think it's key to sort of differentiate here that the wisdom of the age that Paul is so concerned about is attained, okay? It's showed off and it's boasted about. It's often attached to different people's names or movements. But God's wisdom is most often received or gifted, And we find this being true and the case throughout the whole Bible. I think probably few few places uh, describe this better in the Old Testament than Solomon's prayer for wisdom. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 9, you can get a pretty timeless view of what seeking wisdom looks like. First uh, Kings 3, 7 through, through 9. <clears throat> and now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern? This is your great people. So Solomon equates acquiring wisdom with being a child in need of instruction, right? Solomon equates acquiring wisdom with being a child, just like Jesus and just like Paul. There's something about a childlike stance which makes the wisdom of God something that that we can participate in. And uh, by the same token, though, Uh, we become a fool if we're willing to become a babe, right? Because accepting what the Lord has revealed means that we aren't that impressive. Uh, We are not the origins of our own salvation or our own wisdom, even. And our belief is not superior to the belief of others at that point. And why? Because those who are founded in Christ... In fact, by nature, we are humbled by the wisdom God bestows because we cannot take credit for it, 
right? So we lose, in one sense, we lose the comparative advantage over our, our brother because Jesus, the great unifier, shared himself with all of us. <clears throat> a baby or a child needs help. It needs to be cared for by someone else. I don't know. Is Alan here still? Yeah. Alan, I don't know if you just want to stand up and repeat that two-minute uh, testimony that you had. It was awesome, though, man. You were talking about just now, before we, we started, you were talking about how doing ministry involves exactly that, right? Yeah, uh, come on up, man. Yeah. Well, well just say something because it was good. No, it's still good, though. Still good. Amen. Thanks, Alan. Yeah. No, that was that was actually pretty much right on. The, there was this small detail, though, about, and that comes from being God's child. That's right. That's right. I appreciate it, Alan. <laughs> cool. So that's the first verse. Moving on to verse 19 here. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. So it, it's, it's interesting, first of all, um, to look at this word crafty that's being used here. Uh, the same word is also translated as specious or false wisdom. It's something that is superficially true, but ultimately wrong. So, we could talk about this in sort of uh, hypothetical terms, right? Um, 
if you were aligning yourself with a crafty church or pastor or movement, it might look like allying yourself with this church that bloodies the most noses and looks the best in a theological argument, lording their victories over others, right? That could be an example of, of a crafty church or a crafty a pastor, if, if you will, in terms of the definition of this word. Um, an affiliation of this kind kind of allows people to feel powerful, right? Uh, you look right when someone else is wrong, right? Um, but the question has to be, and, and this goes back to last week's message, um, are leaders in these movements, are, are they serving the church as a waiter waits, say, on a dinner table, right? Um, Paul's example in last week's sermon involved the Greek word uh, uh, diakonos, which is the word, you know, waiter or server. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. And it's, and it's definitely notable to realize that the type of leadership Paul is advocating for in this passage and in last week's passage and elsewhere in Scripture is incredibly servant-focused, right? Paul, Paul's not going to be the guy leading the charge, waiting for others to wait on him, trying to look powerful and strong while a bunch of people behind the scenes prop him up, right? That's not Paul's style. <clears throat> Another question we can ask is, you know, is, is, is leadership in a given church or a given movement, are they, are they watering as the farmhand waters a crop? Um, are they lording their differences over others? Um, even more so, we can just look at the example of Christ and see that Jesus was noted as a servant, which incidentally even his own followers were offended by, right? The Messiah wasn't supposed to be a servant in their minds, right? Peter balked when Jesus said, I need to wash your feet. So I guess one question we can ask, too, is just, you know, are our leaders doing the same? Are they? You know? and, and this is one of those places that I would say, you know, we can bring a little bit of a, of a, a critical edge to our own faith, you know, and we can ask the question, hey, the church that I'm in, the community that I'm in, do I see my leaders serving or being served, right? What's, what's, what's the situation here? Broadening the, the spectrum on this verse just a little bit, and this might get a little bit dense, but just bear with me here. Um, if anybody knew the context of the verse that's being quoted in verse 19, it would be Paul, right? I'm going to read the verse again. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. So that, that verse that he quotes, he catches the wise in their own craftiness, goes back to Job, okay? Which is even more interesting because these aren't Job's words per se. These are the words of one of Job's friends. And this is in uh, chapter 5, verse 13 of Job. Don't worry about turning there now. But these are the words of Eliphaz, which is one of Job's friends, that is incidentally whacking him over the head. And why is he whacking Job over the head? Well, 
his friend has seen all this crazy stuff happen in Job's life, all this bad stuff, the sickness and death and oppression and, and all this stuff. And his friend has the gumption to, to basically say, this is because you sinned, right? All this bad stuff is happening to you because you messed up. And this verse in particular is a footnote to his whole speech to, to Job exactly to that end. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. In other words, Job, you're deceptive, crafty old dude, and God's got you this time, right? We could read it in such a way. <clears throat> but Paul would have realized, of course, that this is from the book of Job, and the individual speaking here is, in fact, Eliphaz. And Eliphaz's theology is not exactly watertight, right? And the reason we know this is because we can look all over the world today. We can look all over our own lives. We can look at our friends' lives, and we can say that, on the one hand, really good people who do really great stuff suffer often. It's true. They do. And we can't just say, you're suffering because you sinned. Oftentimes, we don't know why people are suffering. By the same token, we can look at folks who do really, really bad stuff and see them die quiet, peaceful, old-age deaths, right? Time and place of their choosing, etc. And, and we can kind of say, okay, so if Paul realizes that this theology, this theology is not necessarily correct, yet he quotes this particular man saying these particular words, is there a bigger picture for that, right? Is there a bigger reason for why he would do that? Is, is there something more than meets the eye literally to this verse? And, you know, honestly, I'm not sure, but it is kind of interesting to consider that if this is the case, and Paul chose this portion of scripture leaning greatly on the context of Job, it may be that it was meant to provoke deeper questioning, right? What I mean by that is we can look around and we can see people doing good and we can say, is that because that person's particularly wise? We can see a church growing really fast and we can say, is it because they're really doing it right? And honestly, they could really be doing it right, right? But it is also the case looking at the errant a theology in Job that maybe they're doing it wrong and things are just looking good too, right? It's an important point uh, to explore. Um, and if it doesn't seem relevant, I would really say, hey, you know, look at the book of Job and then wash it down with a nice seven-month study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so moving on to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20. <clears throat> and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So in this section, Paul is quoting Psalms uh, 94, verse 11 in particular. And, and the context um, of this psalm um, here is really a lot to do with God's wrath. And the question is, in this psalm, as you read it, um, throughout the chapter, when will you all become wise, or when will you become wise? And the answer that is given towards the end of this section of Scripture, Psalm 94, is, well, you'll become wise when you receive God's redirection or his discipline, not when you align yourself with the right leader, not when you begin 
boasting in the rightness of your denomination or your own decision, right? I think Psalm 94 is worth checking out here. If, if you turn to Psalm 94 and look at verse 8, 8 through 13, Psalm 94, verses 8 through 13. And here the psalmist says, Psalm 94, verse 8, Take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplined nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. So this, this section essentially says there is an answer in terms of wisdom, right? And maybe we can become wise after and only after we've received God's correction, right? Once again, that posture of being a mere child, right? Waiting to receive, somewhat helpless, definitely in need, right? There's something about that posture that, uh, that allows us to seek the kind of wisdom that Paul is advocating for here. <clears throat> Moving on to verses 21 and 22. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours. So whereas the Corinthians are saying, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, Paul is doing something rather bold here. He's engaging in a reversal of thought compared to what the Corinthians are doing. He is saying, nope, it's not I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, but instead it's I, Paul, I am of you. You are not of me. So Paul is turning their way of thinking and even their very logic here um, kind of on its head. And it's, it's a powerful thing. And it, it definitely, by this point in his letter, would not have been lost on them, right? He's also doing something else, I think, with this section of Scripture. And I think he's calling them to ownership of their posture. He's saying, okay, when we pledge allegiance to a movement or a pastor or a church, when a personality cult goes sideways, we always have someone to blame, right? We always do. It's the guy at top. Yeah, he, he really, really messed with our minds, right? But Paul is saying, hey guys, don't deceive yourselves. It's one thing to believe something is a lie, or sorry, it's one thing to believe a lie and, and and so being de deceived. But it's another to both believe a lie and be the one telling it, right? At that point, you're in trouble, real trouble. And at the end of it all, when we boast in a person and they let us down, we often have a few people to blame, okay? But in reality, we can blame ourselves, I think, often, if we're really honest, uh, because our faith and foundation in that moment may have been misplaced. 
Therefore, instead of being anything else, I think a leader needs to be a servant, right? And this is what Paul is in part getting at here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 26, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him instead be your servant. Moving on to verse 23. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 23. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So since there is only one true God, there can be only one true foundation, right? And we're not just talking about um, any kind of foundation. We're talking about a solid rock, right? It's a unifying foundation for the church. And it's humbling rather than something to boast in. Paul corrects the Corinthians in simplicity through this statement, right? Their various home churches and small groups can't swear allegiance to different uh, teachers and thereby be divided, but instead they need to be reminded that they're all of Christ, right? I think often in life it boils down to belonging and ownership, uh, I, I think if you look at the lives and, and oftentimes the career routes of people who are in ministry, you find something. Uh, and that's maybe they get an offer from a denomination or a particular Christian leader. And so, so they, they really swing that way. And there's, there's nothing wrong with being affiliated with a denomination or anything. But sometimes the cart goes before the horse, Right? Sometimes you get so deep into your denominational line that the other guys are all wrong, right? And that's something we need to look out for. <clears throat> I think for others, uh, out, outside the ministry or just in general in, in life, we have a sort of a, a concern over uh, social or societal security, if you will, right? I had a friend in middle school. His name was Kevin Kim. Kevin had this very, very strong life calling. And the calling was to figure out if you are a rapper or a rocker, right? You're a rapper or you're a rocker. It's one of the two. Which are you? What's it going to be? First day of school. So are you a rapper or a rocker, right? I was really neat. I didn't really know what to do. I was like homeschooled up until then. And I show up at this school and someone's asking me to affiliate, you know, I was like, I don't know what that's like, but it was, it was, it was weird. Ultimately, I determined that I was a rocker for sure. Um, but, but I needed to be of something in order to, to be socially secure in my friend group in middle school. And I think, I think that sort of speaks of a broader picture, you know, like, I don't know if it really ended in middle school for me or for most folks, um, and it kind of, I think we can kind of park on this here tonight. We can really ask the question, what are we of? You know, what do we think 
that we are of? What's it important for us to be of? Because the Corinthians were experiencing destructive division in their communities because some of them had to be of one guy and others of them had to be of someone else, right? Are you of Calvary Chapel? Right? Are you of some other denomination that that you, you need to find identity? Or can we recognize here that, you know, we belong to God instead? The other question for me that comes out of this passage is, do you actually want to be wise? And once again, differentiating between the wisdom of the age, right, and this wisdom that Solomon talked about, and Jesus talked about, and Paul talked about. This wisdom that first requires a childlike posture, right? Something that requires you to receive. Something that you probably could never just build or realize on your own, right? Do you really want to be wise? Or would you rather just boast in another human being because they provide the answers, right? If you believe you are wise already, then we have another problem, and, and that's the problem that Paul starts by addressing, right? You may have a desire to be wise, and that's a really good thing, but if you believe you are wise now, right, that's when things should start to get uncomfortable. If you believe you're wise now, I would say, you know, while we're praying tonight, while we're, while we're worshiping, you know, reread Solomon's prayer. First Kings chapter 3, right? Reread it and see what happens. Um, I'd like to, to welcome uh, the worship team to come back up here. Um, and as we, as we do so here, um, I, I guess my hope is that we don't just have a, have a personalized worship experience tonight, but that we actually have the opportunity to kind of meditate, you know, to meditate just a little bit, um, on why Paul took the time to write this letter, uh, to meditate just a little bit on, um, issues surrounding a division in the church in, in, you know, how those come to be and to meditate just a little bit on, on this idea of wisdom as something that we're gifted with, right? Something that, that we receive from God, but that we can't claim based on our affiliation to a certain Christian leader or church otherwise. So if you guys would pray with me, that'd be great. Thanks. Lord, uh, we just ask God that, that you would take these words and that you would allow them to kind of take root here, God. Um, that, that we could, we could have a moment here to just really hear from, um, from your voice, Lord, and, and to realize that, that there is, there is more at work here than our own craftiness, God, than our own ability to get ahead, uh, than our own ability, uh, to, to become proud or accomplished based on um, how we can compare to another brother or sister in Christ or or how we can lo- lord accomplishments over one another. God, there's another way 
to find satisfaction and that satisfaction being something that is truly deep, Lord. So God, we, we just in, invite you into this time here of worship and we ask that you'd meet us where you're at. Uh, and we'd ask that you'd speak um, through the music tonight and we'd ask that you would, uh, you would challenge our, our postures, God, and ignite our hearts in a new way. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.